Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about brutal beasts. I'm your host, Steve Taylor. And tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Get ready for a double header of fright, because joining us tonight to help bring to life the terrifying fiction of Matt Martinek is voice talent Michael Klein. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale this evening 
is written by Matt Martinek and is brought to us by the creators of Velox Books and is performed by Michael Klein. They say it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. But to see the one you love most in the world ripped apart by a supernatural creature is something else entirely. Now, without further ado, I present to you, Bite. His teeth were like razors. This I knew from the very moment the creature began to tear into my wife's body. The last 15 years of my life, ripped apart by some fucking freak of nature. All before my very eyes. Shock, surprise, terror. Those are just bullshit words. Placeholders for something syllables could never hope to accurately capture. Time seizes at a moment like that. I couldn't tell you if the mauling lasted two minutes or two hours. Well, it was a stupid idea. Something I came up with, of course. Alicia wasn't down with it at all. She was such a homebody, completely content with the life she had. Oh yes, the life of a wife. The schedule, the organization, the predictability. It was all hers. But I, on the other hand, I wanted a little more. I always tried to get Alicia out of her box. Whenever I could, I attempted to break up the monotony. I would do little things, you know, spur-of-the-moment surprises she would not expect. Day trip here, stay overnight there, romantic little things out of the blue. I think I got more of a kick out of it than she did. Getting stuck in a rut was nowhere to be found in my day planner life. I knew she wasn't a big outdoors person, but I decided to set up a camping trip. Get some fishing in. You know, some late-night cuddles by the dim light of the lantern. Seemed all right by me. Unfortunately, when I sprung it on her, it was met with one word. Really? Ouch. Albeit a cold response at first, Alicia eventually decided she'd give it a try. She was one hell of a sport, and I truly appreciated that about her. So the following Saturday, we packed up, jumped in the car, and off we went. Ready for a few evenings of fresh air. The campsite was a place I remembered from my youth. A secluded place my family would go in the summers. A place of many wonderful memories. And even better, it was only two hours away. So the drive was easy. We arrived at about 10 a.m. with a full day ahead of us. It was entertaining as I taught Alicia how to pitch a tent, correctly bait a worm, and eat a sandwich after washing your filthy hands in river water. Yeah, it just wasn't her. But she was trying. Trying for me. And that really meant something. As the day drew to a close and we ate our meager supply of fish from the day's outing, I began to realize that very moment what a lovely time this was becoming. I think she felt it too. I decided to break out a little surprise bottle of wine to kick off the evening, which she applauded with enthusiasm. We had just sat down in the tent, laughing at the day's comedy, ready to partake of our drink, when we first heard the rustling in the woods. At first we snickered, like young lovers in the dark about to clutch each other while telling scary stories. But the sounds continued, off and on, as we drew in closer and began to show our love. We ignored it, chalking it up to creatures of the night, until we couldn't ignore it anymore. 
That rustling got louder. Branches were cracking, and whatever it was seemed to be getting closer. I withdrew from my wife's lips, obviously concerned, but she attempted to lighten the mood. Oh, come on, scaredy cat. I'll get the big bad monster for you. She smirked as she unzipped the tent and placed one foot onto the soil. Hey, Alicia, why don't you... I tried to coax her back into the tent, but it was too late. Oh, that was real. That whole damn thing was real. In the blink of an eye, Alicia was yanked out of the tent with such force that the entire thing collapsed on itself. The wine splashed into the air, and before I knew it, I was struggling to get out of the fabric of the tent, which had seemed to wrap around me with a mind of its own. Well, within seconds, I was able to free myself and gain a foothold on solid ground, as well as a view of the frightening situation at hand. In the glow of the dying embers of our campfire, I saw my poor wife flailing for her life as an enormous wolf had its jaws clamped upon her leg. I will never forget the screams and the absolute look of fright on her face as this creature ragdolled her back and forth. The size of this animal was amazing, much larger than the average man. The child in me remembered the monster movies of old and how I would tear at my parents' couch cushions as I watched in the darkness. My mind quickly shifted to the hunting knife I had brought with me and my supplies, but I realized it would be nearly impossible to find now that the tent was in shambles. As time was not my friend, I hurled myself onto the creature and struck it as hard as I possibly could. Fists, elbows, all in the back of its head. I felt like it was hitting a stone wall. It released its jaws and my wife's leg, and Alicia fell to the ground, screaming in pain. The wolf snarled at me for a moment, paused, and then lunged directly at my face. The only thing I could do was put my arm up in defense, and that fucking wolf bit down with such force I literally heard my own bones snap like twigs. That pain was unimaginable. At that point, the fight in me was gone. The wolf let my arm free, and I crumbled to the ground. Alicia was wailing uncontrollably. John! John, are you all right? As I looked down and saw the ravaged, bloody mess that used to be an appendage, we were dead. I knew it. As I lay there on the verge of unconsciousness, the woven bastard set its eyes once more upon my wife. It sunk its teeth this time into her thigh. Flesh was yanked from the bone, the blood spurting everywhere. Alicia's cries softened, and I knew that it would not be long. It made its rounds spending time tearing at her arm and chest as I started to hear the gurgling. The teeth made her way to her head as her cheeks were ripped to shreds like wet paper right before the monster chewed her entire eyelid off. My wife? She was being torn apart and I could do nothing to save her. That was surreal. Upon realization that my wife was lost, I used every ounce of strength I had left to slowly crawl away toward the nearest tree. With the wolf still focused on its meal, I began to climb. Uh, I had only two weary legs and one arm left, but 
That's amazing what you can accomplish when it's life or death. As I slowly made my way up the tree, I could hear the wolf crunching on the bones. The worst sound I have ever heard in my entire life. Alicia? Well, Alicia was not Alicia anymore. She was simply food. So I climbed as far as my waning strength would allow me, then I waited. Sounds below continued, and they made me so sick that I vomited onto the ground below. I decided I, I decided I would wait it out until morning, high in the tree. The wolf would surely move on after the remains were used up. To keep my sanity, and to block out the noise, I looked for the largest branch I could, snapped it off, and began to sharpen the end. Wood on wood. At least I could have some sort of weapon if the monster didn't leave. I sat in that tree all night, just as I planned. And by daybreak I realized that I constructed a worthwhile spear. <laughs> Far sharper than I imagined. After scoping out the crimson scene below, I saw that the wolf had indeed gone, along with my wife's corpse. The only parts of her I could make out were clumps of her bloodied blonde hair amongst the leaves and a few pieces of bones. Tired, hungry, and bleeding to the point of unconsciousness, I warily descended from my perch. That campsite looked like a war zone. Everything was covered in blood. Ground, trees, leaves, all remnants of the loss of life. And the strangest thing? It was on that morning when I learned that blood in those amounts actually has a smell kind of reminded me of copper like pennies I rummaged quickly through the remains of the tent and found my cell phone and my keys it was time to get the fuck out of there I survived I made it as soon as I stood up for my search in the tent I heard something a growl a fucking growl I could not believe it. As my heart sank, I slowly turned around, and there it was. Even larger and more frightening in the daylight than the beauty of night could ever afford. Eh, what a sight. Filthy gray fur, mixed with dark red and matted up from all that dried blood. And those fucking teeth! With its hideous mouth agape waiting for more? It gave me no time to run or even think. It pounced through the air, ready to eat again. I fell backwards and all I could do was brace for the worst as I held my homemade spear up toward the monster. The wolf hit into me with such force that it must have knocked me unconscious. And so I slept. Into the black I went. Now how much time passed that morning I don't know. I awoke to the feeling of being suffocated, something pushing the breath out of me. I opened my eyes and saw it was the wolf's carcass, smothering me. The spear, the fucking spear, had done its job. That bastard fell right on top of it, and it went clean through him. I struggled to get out from under that beast, but I was finally able to move that mountain. I emerged, soaking wet, covered in the blood of us both. Whew, I sat there completely exhausted and stared at that son of a bitch for a little while 
What stories would they tell of the night this monster ravaged a poor helpless woman? I will admit, it had a ferocity to it, even in death, a dangerous beauty. And I killed it. After the authorities showed up and the carcass was collected by the park service for testing, which they did not recognize completely what it was, I couldn't stop thinking about the otherworldly size and nature of the killer who had dismantled my life. I wanted answers. I received none. I checked on the situation time and time again, but the creature had mysteriously disappeared from their facility and the records. What wolf? Sir, what on earth are you talking about? I was left to bury a few pieces of my wife, along with whatever truth they decided to keep from me. I miss her dearly. I hope you enjoyed Bite, as written by Matt Martinek and performed by Michael Klein. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish, or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Our second tale of the evening is also written by Matt Martinek and is once again performed by Michael Klein. In it, we'll meet a member of a team of engineers hungry to create the next biggest war weapon. And without any further ado, I present to you, War Wolf. Working for the defense industry has always been a trip. I started out in the late 90s, working out of Yuma, Arizona, engineering the next wave of unmanned surveillance drones for the U.S. military. Technology had come so far by this point, nothing seemed off-limits. And the think tank was always full. I was proud to be of assistance and took my job extremely seriously, as we all did. It was life or death for our folks in the field, and it was our job to lessen the load in any way we possibly could. But unfortunately, after September 11, 2001, this load seemed much too heavy to bear, at least with the technology we were coming up with. They wanted next level, they wanted to kick some ass. They wanted to weaponize the drones. Being as pissed off as I was, along with every other red-blooded American, I was all in. And just as the patriotic fervor in my heart was ready to burst through in my work, I was pulled from the project and reassigned to Butte, Montana. No explanation, 
and given only one week to pack up my shit and go. I simply did not understand. Needless to say, I felt a certain kind of way about my perceived emotion. So, moving from Arizona to Montana in the dead middle of winter was absolutely shocking, both physically and mentally. I felt like I must have really fucked up somewhere to deserve this kind of punishment. But, but what did I do? Or were they simply cleaning house and looking for new blood? I just wasn't sure. Regardless, with my tail between my legs, I showed up for work, ready for whatever toilet scrubbing duties they had in store for me. I was not prepared for what lie ahead. And there we were, a group of eight engineers, waiting in front of what looked to be a modified airplane hangar in the middle of nowhere at 5 a.m. in the morning. We blew smoke rings of crystallized breath and nicotine at each other and engaged in small talk while we waited in the freezing cold. They were all as confused as I as to why we were reassigned and for what end purpose it could possibly serve. Eventually, a middle-aged man in a large green parka goaded us into the hangar with a simple movement of his hand. Apparently, introductions were not yet deserved. We checked in at the front desk, provided our IDs and clearances, then followed him, past rows of empty, dust-covered desks and black computer screens, toward the back of the hangar. You would have thought that this setup was an obsolete, ancient remnant until we moved further back and the two extremely large holding cells came into view. We all looked at each other and snickered as we attempted to take it all in. I wasn't sure if we were relocated to an army facility or an actual zoo. The holding cells were partitioned right next to each other, surrounded by thick plexiglass, and outfitted with trees, stones, dirt, ponds, and one angry-looking gray wolf smack dab in the middle of each, just staring at us, salivating. What in the hell was this? We then heard a voice from behind. They will be your best friends for the next year, fellas. The one on the left is Steve. The one on the right is Chloe. Sure, Steve's a bit bigger, but don't let Chloe fool you. She's a lot bitchier, as you will quickly find out. The goal is to replicate the mannerisms, habits, even their deepest instincts. You will watch them, get to know them, hell, maybe even get to love them. The game has changed and we have to change with it. In exactly one year's time, we go into full-on production of these units. Obviously, to recreate a functional killing machine like this out of steel, titanium, and fiberglass in such a small window of time will be a nearly impossible task. But you will do it. Because that is what you are here for. To create Warwolf. Just as the man finished speaking, a door in the back of each holding cell opened and a young fawn was let into each. It didn't take long for that blood spray to pepper the glass with sounds of splattering paint. And just as the man said, Chloe proved to be a lot meaner than Steve. The mess she left behind proved it. One of the engineers vomited at the sight of it. That person was immediately let go. Man down already. This one was not going to be a project for the squeamish. The fellow who introduced us to the wolves turned out to be our project manager, Joseph. He was actually the man in the parka who we met outside the hangar on that first day. His job was plain and simple. To lay out the initial plan, 
to make sure we stayed on task, and most importantly, to ensure that the deadline would be met. Other than that, he pretty much stayed out of the way and let us do our jobs. We were all chosen specifically from different parts of the U.S. to combine our specific strengths together in order to create the monstrosity that they envisioned. The Warwolf, as it was to be called, would serve two very different separate functions. First, it would be used for non-lethal capture. Second, it would be used for the elimination of a target. There was no room for error. We had to design the perfect combination of size, speed, and violence, but with the precision necessary to ensure the safe passage of a prisoner as well. We got to work, and didn't look back. Out of everyone there, I was the one who chose to spend the most time studying the wolves. Not only because I was honestly enthralled, but because I was a mechanical engineer. Range of motion was important, and the more time I studied Steve and Chloe, the easier my job would be. The pieces I designed would need to fit perfectly, to move together seamlessly. Though it would be impossible to recreate their beautiful movements 100%, the programmers and I were going to try to come as close as we could. The wolves had special handlers designated to them, for the feeding and for the cleaning of the cells, but I also took part in these duties whenever I had the chance. Intimacy with my subject was very important. The rest of the guys thought I was nuts, but I was simply concerned with the finished product. There was really no time for anything but work. Long 12-hour days for months upon months, with Sunday being our only day off, and some of us would choose to come in on that day too. One year to design, prototype, and sign off on such a thing is laughable. In a regular circumstance, something that complicated would take at least three years to complete, at the very minimum. But we put our time in every day, then went back to our separate apartments and slept. And maybe eight, if we had the energy. All the while, we kept up on current events and watched Al-Qaeda dismantle our brethren, literally. We made a point to watch the beheading videos, to keep us cognizant of the reason why we were there in the first place. That, mixed with watching Steve and Chloe bloodily mangle their prey with impunity on a daily basis, well... I created somewhat of an unhealthy energy, which became apparent as Joseph modified our creative direction. He told his bosses that we simply did not have enough time to design and program for the two functions of the Warwolf, only enough for one. They needed to make a choice if they wanted to hit their all-important deadline, and of course they picked the bloodier option, destruction of the target at all costs. The darkness had set in. At about month nine of our little experiment, the decision to let Steve and Chloe was made. Joseph felt there was nothing more to learn from them, so one evening at the end of the shift, the handlers took them both out the back door and let them free in the forest behind the hangar, back into the wilderness where they belonged. I was sad to see him go, but I understood that the time was dwindling and there was only one thing left to do. To build the fucking thing. Thankfully, as our project took precedence above all, the custom metalwork we needed was expedited to us as quickly as possible. Every day I was able to put more and more puzzle pieces together, and before I knew it, I was screwing in those razor-sharp stainless steel teeth, one by one, and admiring the thing that we had constructed. I stood back in amazement, 
trying to process what stood before me. Sure, Steve and Chloe were the models, but the finished product was... Oh, that was something else. It's hard to describe in words the visual overload that the Warwolf demanded. Seven feet long, four and a half feet tall from paw to ear tip, 1,400 pounds. Gleaming titanium plating covered the entirety of the beast, except for a 10-inch mesh-covered speaker mounted in its chest. For those moments when the remote operator would need to throw out a verbal command to a fleeing target or possible comrade, this was a fully functional robot werewolf of the army. But unlike those sci-fi films and comics of old, this werewolf was very real, and a million times more dangerous. The full moon? I was replaced by a simple flip of a switch. We were all so very excited to see our creation creep out from the recesses of our imagination into reality. From the very moment that the hum of the battery entered my ears, my heart began to pound with ferocity. The solenoids actuated, the pneumatics forced the life breath, and the behemoth's eyes gleamed with a glowing electric blue. It was alive! The front leg took its first step, and the war wolf slowly began to circle our group with its huge paws pounding the concrete floor. My excitement quickly turned to fright as we backed into each other clumsily, and the robot's jaws opened, producing those violent blades of steel that I, myself, had designed. The mechanisms underneath produced an eerie whine, like that of an animal in throes of death. Just as I was readying an escape of some sort, the creature stopped in its tracks, and the speaker blared aloud with Joseph's voice, Pretty fucking scary, isn't it? It sure as hell was. All that night, I was alone in my apartment. I couldn't stop thinking about our creation, or the fear that I felt as it approached me. I did not sleep. Thankfully, I knew that the next day was probably going to be my last on the project. One more trial, and if it went well, it would be off to quality assurance again, and hopefully the full production of ten units would start shortly thereafter. Oh, I was relieved that the end was in sight, and although I knew we had succeeded in our tasking, pride was something that I was stumbling in the dark to find. We had created a monster, and many lives would surely be extinguished by it. That's quite the heavy burden for any conscious to bear. I remembered that long-forgotten rule of the Lord. Thou shalt not kill. The next day, I felt a bit of deja vu as our group found ourselves in the same position as that very first day, in front of the holding cells. But this time, it was not Chloe or Steve, but instead, the Warwolf itself, eyes ablaze, awaiting its final trial. I knew that it was going to be bloody, and I had already imagined what it would look like as the steel jaws ripped the deer into sinewy shreds, but the fawn never showed. Instead back door opened, and the handler shoved a different kind of prey into our man-made hell. His skin was dark, his clothes were torn, and he was shouting something in Arabic as he nudged his blindfold off and viewed our beast in all its violent glory. He began to scream and wave his arms about as the seven of us just looked at each other in disbelief, our jaws all touching the floor. Within a split second, that war wolf pounced on its prey and the man's arm was torn directly from its shoulder socket, 
spilling what seemed to be gallons of crimson onto the ground. The screams turned to gurgling as the jowls opened once more and affixed themselves into the fellow's skull, crushing it into pieces with ease. It sounded as if a watermelon was dropped from a third-story window. It was over. We did it. As I walked away from the hangar that day with tears streaming down my face and hands shaking terribly from the crime I had just taken part in, I heard what seemed to be a howl in the distance. I turned around, only to see Chloe and Steve, side by side, perched upon the wooded hill behind the base. They were saying goodbye to their friend, but in many ways, that person was already long gone. I hope you enjoyed War Wolf, as written by Matt Martinek and performed by Michael Klein. Matt Martinek is a singer-songwriter and author from Johnstown, PA, whose passion is the creative process itself. Whether it's through song or the written word, Matt's works always find their audience. Matt has also recently published his first collection of short horror stories, What Evil Lurks, as well as his newest horror release, the oddest couple. Now to the shows. Longtime resident and powerhouse Otis Jiry, who made an appearance in our first tale, has his very own show here on our network, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, which you can hear every Sunday night. On that note, be sure to check out the other shows we offer on our network. We have Fear from the Heartland, featuring horror stories brought to you from the Heartland airing Wednesdays. Eric Peabody's Horror Hill, who also made an appearance in our first tale, a podcast dedicated to some of our deeper and darker tales. We hope you check him out. Andrew Blood's Dark Tales airs Fridays, featuring some southern down-home horror. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host of the evening, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, 
But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.